let's pretend that I was the author of, of the story of the savior of the world. I would write the story and, and I would make our Lord into a superhero. That's what I would do if I was writing the story. We can all be glad that I wasn't writing the story. So on the day of the resurrection, according to my story, I would have Jesus push the rock away himself. Then I would have him bust up the rock uh, with one swing, swing of his fist. And then, of course, the soldiers guarding the tomb would be a little bit surprised. So then he would go up and he would punch each of those guys in the head. And then he would uh, begin to exact revenge on all those that were mean to him and who crucified him. So he would surprise Annas and Caiaphas, the high priests, and he would say, he would have a few sarcastic comments like, remember me, and then he would proceed to punch them in the head a few times, and then um, he would show up at Pilate's house, and he would be a little bit surprised, and he would, you know, punish Pilate, and then he would go over to Herod uh, and say, uh, you know, I'm, I'm the savior of the world, you killed my cousin John the Baptist, prepare to die. And then he would, um, you know, he, my savior of the world would be the world's best, you know, superhero. Now, enough of my silly story. Let's go back to the gospel. Jesus doesn't go to see any of the Roman soldiers, none of the temple guard who were Jewish, Jewish soldiers. He does not go to see Annas and Caiaphas. He does not visit Pilate. He does not visit Herod. He visits none of his persecutors. He does not do anything out of revenge. Nothing. Nothing. To Pilate, the Roman governor of Judea, he would say to him, Before his crucifixion, my kingdom is not of this world. Pilate had asked him, Are you a king then? My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my followers would strive that I not be that I not be given over to your hands. But as it is, my kingdom is not of this world. Therefore, my followers are not striving to protect me from the coming crucifixion. Nor am I calling down to my defense twelve legions of angels with which no one would have any chance whatsoever of contending with, nor am I defending myself. Nor am I defending myself. I make statements about what the truth is, but as to any accusation of wrongdoing, I make no reply. On the day of the resurrection, our Lord proceeds 
to be a resurrected king in a kingdom that is not of this world. He is not a superhero. His kingdom is in this world, but his kingdom is not of this world. Who does he go to see? We believe that the very first one that he went to see, of course, was his mother. That, of course, is not recorded in any gospel. That is a tradition, and, uh, but it is not part of the written tradition. As St. John makes clear at the end of his gospel, as he also does at the end of the book of the Apocalypse, um, as he says here, uh, he says something similar at the end of the book of the Apocalypse, but here in the 20th chapter of St. John, he says, many other signs also did Jesus in the sight of his disciples, which are not written in this book, which are not written in this book. The only thing that scripture tells us definitively is that there are many things not included in it. Never does it ever say everything is included. Jesus did lots of things that are not written in this book. And even St. John says, with regard to the disciples, not even everything is written in this book. We believe that our Lord visited his mother. This was, uh, it is the most fitting thing. Then... We have uh, very touching stories of how it is that he visited with Mary Magdalene. Mary Magdalene was the one who went first to the tomb. She went not only once, but several times. And yesterday we had the gospel of her uh, going and thinking that she was speaking to the gardener. And she said to him, sir, please tell me where you have put the body and I will take the body of my Lord and I will uh, take it and uh, put it, you know, where it should go. And, of course, it wasn't the gardener, it was Jesus himself. Rabboni, he says. Uh, She says, and after he calls her by name. Mary Magdalene was the very one out of whom our Lord had cast seven demons. She was the one who anointed his feet before, a week before his crucifixion, who he defended publicly saying, leave her alone. What she does, she does in honor of my burial. Obviously a week in advance, which he alone was to know, but her devotion was defended publicly. Mary Magdalene was uh, also um, not only the first to arrive at the tomb on the day of the resurrection, she was uh, among the small group of women who stood beneath his cross, along with Mary, his mother, and some of the others. It is to Mary Magdalene that he would say, this king of a kingdom that is not of this world, he would tell her, you go tell my disciples, the very ones who abandoned me in the Garden of Gethsemane, the very ones who, most of whom did not appear at the foot of the cross when I was being crucified, they abandoned me and I was alone without their comfort, You go tell them that I have resurrected from the dead. Mary Magdalene was therefore um, the first evangelist of the resurrection. It is on her testimony that Peter and John would run to the tomb and discover and then start to believe themselves in the resurrection. 
And even though that our Lord had prophesied the resurrection many times, it went in one ear and out the other. They just didn't understand. They just didn't, they didn't know the scriptures and they didn't understand his own uh, prophecy. Our Lord is not a superhero. He does things according to his rules, not according to what we might consider to be our rules, human rules. He's not a human superhero. He's not just some kind of ubermensch, stronger than everyone else. No, he's a divine king, and his kingdom is not of this world. Therefore, in his resurrected self, he did things that we would not have chosen him to do. He doesn't hang out with the apostles all week, for instance. The first week after the resurrection, he appears to them on the Sunday and then again the following Sunday, as is made plain in the gospel today. After eight days, he appears to them again. And we know that he didn't appear to them in between this time because, um, St. John's statement notwithstanding, because John makes it clear that Thomas, uh, the there was never a, an opportunity where Thomas had to examine the wounds, uh, the glorified wounds of our Lord uh, in any detail and then go from unbelieving to believing. Therefore, uh, he let the apostles alone for seven whole days in between Sundays. This is a surprising thing. But we notice that in the context of today's feast of mercy, divine mercy, how merciful is this king? I would have a superhero exact revenge for the sake of justice. It is not the will of our Lord. There is no justice. There is no revenge. There's justice. But the justice comes later. He would say of himself, I judge no one. I am not come to judge. The judging, though, comes later. He will come back, as we say in the creed. He will come back to judge the living and the dead. Later on, he will be a judge. But on the day of the resurrection, and in between the resurrection and the ascension, he's not judging. He's not condemning. He is being merciful, first of all, to those of his followers. To Mary, to the Marys, we might say, to the apostles, he is being very gentle, he is being merciful, and he never goes to see any of his enemies, uh, he doesn't care about them, they, are all, they will all be taken care of later. Now I shouldn't say that he doesn't care about them, obviously, one of his enemies we know for sure, one of the Roman soldiers, soldiers the very one who would open up his side with a lance, tradition calls him Longinus. And we believe that he was converted, that he believed, and that he lived a holy life and died in the odor of sanctity, and we call him Saint Longinus. That very wound that he opened up in the side of our Lord into which Saint Thomas the Apostle put his hand and then began to believe, that wound was caused by, uh, at first, an enemy of our Lord uh, who converted. All of the enemies of our Lord were given opportunities to convert. All of them. How many took up that invitation is for God to know. This kingdom 
of Christ is mysterious. Christ as our Savior is mysterious. The sacraments of the church are mysterious. Just as people, even on the day of the resurrection, or in the very days following the resurrection, people had lots of opportunity not to believe, as well as an opportunity to believe. Our Lord is not interested in anything other than faith. He could have gone around and, you know, tossing trees around and knocking down buildings and punching people in, in, a certain, in, a, in such a manner that everyone would have to go on bended knee and say, please don't hurt me. But he's not interested in that kind of kingdom. He's not interested in that kind of devotion that is based on fear. He's only interested in devotion that is based on faith. Faith, hope, and love. The church, his kingdom, is mysterious. The sacraments of the church are mysterious. Uh, his own resurrection is mysterious. And part of what that means is this. We know the what of what he has instituted, but we do not know the how of it. We know the what of the resurrection. We know the what of the church. We know the what of the sacraments. But very often we do not know how. We do not know the hows of those mysteries. And that is why they are mysteries. One of the consequences of, of our Lord's kingdom being not of this world is the very fact that it will seem as if his kingdom does not exist. It will seem sometimes that he is not a king. It will seem sometimes as if his kingdom does not exist. It will seem sometimes as if he has not been victorious over sin and death. It will seem sometimes that our faith is indeed in vain. That's what it means, one of the consequences of living a mystery. St. John says at the beginning of our epistle today, Whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world. And this is the victory which overcometh the world, our faith. Our faith overcometh the world. When we read the newspapers, does it seem as if the world of faith has overcome the world of, of godlessness? Or does it rather seem the opposite? The very victory that Christ has won is mysterious and is only by the eyes of faith that we can see the victory because it's not obvious in many senses his victory is only available to the eyes of faith it is itself a mystery In the post-communion prayer of this Mass, we say that we will read in a few minutes' time. We will pray that we, we will beg that God grants us 
grace from receiving our Lord in the Eucharist in such a way that our rebirth and baptism is safeguarded. In the post-communion prayer, we pray, we beg God that our rebirth and baptism is safeguarded by the grace of Holy Communion. Why does our rebirth need to be safeguarded? That is a mystery. Yes, we are given a rebirth in baptism, which this week in the Roman Missal is a bit of a theme all week long. But while we have been reborn, that rebirth and new life that we enjoy can um, suffer death, can be damaged. And yes, receiving the Eucharist is for the sake of safeguarding the rebirth that we have received in baptism. That too is a mystery. While we have been reborn, we can lose that new life and we can um, not enjoy uh, the heaven forever as is, uh, our, as is our destiny. Therefore, we receive the Eucharist. And in this relationship between the Eucharist and baptism, baptism the first and the most necessary of the sacraments and the Eucharist the highest of the seven sacraments. The baptism is really for the sake of being able to receive the Eucharist but also the Eucharist is for the sake of safeguarding baptism and they are intertwined and interdependent and that too uh, is a mystery. But our Lord makes himself available to us in his tender mercy a gift of himself whereby we are able to become a little bit more like himself so that we uh, will uh, be uh, like our king. And in this kingdom, therefore, this mysterious kingdom that he has founded, which is not of this world, his fathers who are born in this world, slowly and surely by receiving divine gifts, become more like our king. That too uh, is a mystery, a wonderful mystery of this kingdom, whereby we, his servants, are served by the king. Where in this mystery, in this kingdom, the king serves his followers uh, rather than the other way around. And uh, it is a wonderful thing, but we can only see that with the eyes of faith. Let us exercise our faith. And then we will know and begin to know the mysteries of God. God love you. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen.